Hi, this is Kim Stinger, Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek Continues. All hailing frequencies are now open for the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Coming to you from the communications division of Podfleet Command, here on Good Old Earth. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and I've actually introduced myself this week, so I'm ahead of the curve. Thank you all for downloading. Thank you all for being here. We're sorry we weren't here last week. Uh, I was traveling for work, and, and my illustrious co-host was preparing for his move across state lines, and of course... Now that I've invoked him, I probably should mention him. He's um, he's uh, probably got a whole bunch of stuff in boxes that he's working out of right now. He's the very transitory Dan Davidson. And Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Have you have you found all your stuff? I found all the stuff that I need to record, and I think that's the most important thing. Thanks, man. It's uh, it's great to be here. Yeah, across state lines, it kind of makes me sound like I'm a criminal of some kind. You know, your you words, know, not mine. You know, trucking cores beer east of Texas is bootlegging. Sorry, I had to throw a little Smokey and the Bandit reference in there this morning, but uh, it's great. Wow, a little, uh, <laughs> little westbound and down. Very nice. Absolutely. Looking forward to today's episode. And of course, like you just said, apologize for the uh, the um, non-episode last week. But uh, with your traveling and my uh, very busy packing, it just didn't fit right for recording. But I'm glad we're doing it today because today's going to be a great episode. It absolutely is. I was in Las Vegas last week, and I'm here to tell you ho- hotel Wi-Fi is terrible, which really is the main driver as to why there was no episode, quite honestly. Um, I did manage to watch Star Trek Discovery mostly unencumbered, and I think it's because it was a Sunday night and everybody else is out drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Vegas night. Yeah, Vegas. But uh, but by the time I made it back, it was just it was well after our drop date, so we decided to just take an impromptu week off. But uh, yes. it is exciting to be back. We're going to talk about... A great early episode of Star Trek Enterprise tonight, one that that I, I know I haven't watched in a while, and I, I suspect it's probably the same for you. Yeah, I have not watched this one in a very long time. Maybe it may have been even the first time it was on, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, it's an important episode, uh, and we thought that it would be good to, to dive into early here in 2018. I'm referring to the 13th episode of Enterprise's first season, and that is Dear Doctor, a very heavy Dr. Flock-centric episode, and it's got some pretty important ramifications throughout the rest of Enterprise and throughout Star Trek, to be quite honest. Absolutely, it does. You know, it. Uh, I think it's an important cornerstone in that first season of Enterprise. We're going to talk about that a little later on. Dan, what you're going to talk about now is how our friends out there in the podcastosphere, mm-hmm. the people in Podfleet, can send us their direct communiques 
um, and get in touch with us to tell us all kinds of great stuff. I'll be very happy to do that, old friend. It's actually easier than ever to get in touch with us. Just need to head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you can find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts, and we want to hear from you. So uh, send us a, a voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail, I should say. You can also Skype chat us, and you can even fill out the contact form and send a message to us directly. It's very easy to do. Plus, don't forget, you can click the big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. And I guarantee you one of these days, I will be able to say voice message correctly in that sentence. But we'll see. Um, in addition to all of those ways to contact us, we certainly want you to join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. As always, there's tons of stuff going on over there. There's Discovery Talk. There's Trek Talk from every series, Star Trek picks, polls, contests, arguments, fun arguments, I should say. Um, plus, you'll also get early access to this here podcast uh, before they're released over at Camp Kittimer. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you write in to join in on all the camping fun. But please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, Bill. Thank you, Dan. That's good for another first down. Oh, wait, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. The game's not till later. Um, while we were away, there we are probably remiss in in not having recognized this more, but uh, happy birthday to us, buddy. It's uh, three years ago last week that we launched the Trek Geeks podcast. And um, here's to, to great things in the future. It's It's been a fantastic year. Of course, we stood up our second podcast, Discovering Trek, and um, who knows what the next uh, 365 days will bring. Well, I'll, I don't know what it's going to bring, but I know it's going to be fun, and it's been a tremendous uh, first three years, and uh, I look forward to what that future brings, buddy. Uh, congratulations, and happy birthday to you, too. It's nice that uh, our fourth year starts as Five-Year Mission is preparing to drop their year four album. I, I love that. That just makes me happy. <laughs> wow. Five-Year Mission reference right in the beginning of the episode, Farkism Later. Yes. And of course, all music on Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek provided by Five-Year Mission online at fiveyearmission.net. How'd you like that for a plug in the middle of the show? How's that? Is that pretty good? Uh, you know, this, this fourth year is starting off really, really good, and it's all because of you. And it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. <laughs> it's treknews.net. <laughs> ah. Online at treknews.net. You know what really grinds my gears, Dan? <laughs> wow, this is great. Uh, just I'm not missing a beat. It's the, all the coffee I've had this morning. Uh, Dan, up first in news, you and I love games. Yes, we do. And we love Star Trek. Yes, we do. So when there's a new Star Trek game, we, and by we, I mean especially Dan, 
tends to get a little excited, buddy. (laughs) That usually does happen, and I'm very excited about this one. Uh, Just was released this week, actually. New game called Star Trek Adversaries is now available for free download on your PC or your Mac. Uh, It is released from Puppet Master Games. And anybody who is a fan of card games like Magic or digital versions like uh, Warcraft's Hearthstone will now be able to play this type of game in the Star Trek universe. I've tried it. It is amazing, especially if you like those type of games. I'm a big Hearthstone fan, so this is very cool. Um, It's very easy to get. You just need to head over to StarTrekAdversaries.com and get ready to battle for control of the galaxy. It uh, It's really cool. Great special effects. Great sounds, of course. All the Star Trek universe is represented. And I think uh, I think you'll like it. It's a lot of fun. It's, and if you're new to games like this, it's very easy to learn. And uh, I think you'll have a great time playing. And, um, hey, Bill, I got, I got a little something extra in regards to this yeah. new story for you. Yes. A, uh, a little birdie told me that Star Trek Adversaries will be available on mobile platforms in the near future. So that's a bonus. Very I'm nice. thinking Adversary Battles all the way to STLV this coming summer. Um, you mean on, on our tablets or computers, right? You don't mean you and me just fisticuffs on a plane. I would never do that to you. I don't want to embarrass you. That's okay. Don't worry. That's yes, good because I'm tablets. a... I'm a lover, not a fighter. Um, <laughs> see, a little Michael Jackson reference for you there. Look at that. Thank you. Thank you. I um, So I tried playing that game um, this past weekend, and you're right. It is very easy, and I'm not somebody who is um, uh, used to playing games like Hearthstone or, or Magic. Um, the whole platform or the whole concept of those types of games is very new to me. So even as a total noob myself, I found it very easy, which I think says something about the game. So, yes. um, so far I'm really enjoying it, which I think is, is really the best testimony I can give it. One of the things that I like so much about games like this is, is of course, back in the day, early, you know, eighties, nineties, whatever they had games like magic, which were the physical games where you had the cards and you had it all laid out on a table. And I never really got into that aspect of these games because it's just, to be honest, it's too much to handle. I mean, trying to figure out all these different things. What's great about something like Star Trek Adversaries is it does all of that for you. It does all the math. It does all the calculations that you need. So all you need to know is how much energy you have and which cards you can play, and then just watch the battles take place on the screen. It's really, really cool. Great special effects, great sound, like I said before. And uh, I recommend you check it out. Absolutely. That's Star StarTrekAdversaries.com. Download that and fire it up. Uh, Dan, in other news, it looks like more, even more stars have been added to STLV now as we are just under six months away from the kickoff of this annual gathering in the desert. Did you say less than six months? Yes, because uh, it starts August 1st, and we're now at uh, February 4, as that we is, record. That is just awesome. I can't wait. Yes, and, and the list keeps growing. Of course, Creation always wants to get at least 100 stars to the uh, annual uh, gala out in the desert in Vegas. And we found out just this past week that another Discovery star is going to be joining several other Discovery stars out at Vegas. And that new name is Rain Wilson, Harry Mudd himself will be on stage and uh, taking part in the fun uh, at STLV. I'm very excited about this because we seem to be getting a lot of the Discovery cast out into Vegas. But that's not all, Bill. There's other stars that have been announced this week as well. One that I am extremely excited about because I've never seen him at a convention, and that is Mr. Cole Meany 
from Deep Space Nine and yeah, uh, previously a show called The Next Generation. He is going to be there also. It's been confirmed. And I know you know, Bill, I'm just especially excited for this announcement as anybody who listens to this podcast knows. I'm just thrilled about that. Understandably so. I think that uh, I think it's going to be fantastic. I've never seen him at a convention either. When they did DS9 25 years ago, uh, he was not there and neither was Sid. So my cast photo is is without those two in the in the picture. But I'm, I'm looking forward to hear what he has to say. I hope that you get a chance to have a brush with fame so that you can maybe tell him part of your story. Mm. But uh, I, I'm really excited to see Colin. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Uh, it. It should be great. Of course, he's done so many good, cool things after uh, DS9. So it should be fun to see him on stage. And additionally, speaking of DS9, executive producer uh, of DS9 and of the upcoming DS9 documentary, What We Left Behind, Ira Stephen Bear will also uh, be at Vegas again. So the purple goatee will be in full force at STLV. I rhymed and that was pretty cool. <laughs> wow. You've had enough coffee too, huh? I, I, yes. Uh, brown sugar crumbled donut. So yeah, I love it. Oh, I'm a cinnamon sugar cookie right here. So um, Dan, lastly in news, the season one finale for Star Trek Discovery is this coming weekend. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. It's been an amazing 14 weeks so far. Uh, we talk about it at length every single week over at Discovering Trek, and we're having a great time with it. The season has been phenomenal. I'm so excited to see this finale, but at the same time, I'm so not excited because that means we're not going to have new episodes of Star Trek for a little while, and that, that makes me kind of a little sad. But they've been building up to what I can only guess is going to be an amazing amazing finale this coming Sunday on CBS All Access. And um, what's also cool is, as we know, season two uh, was greenlit a while back. They are working on season two right now. They got lots of photos over on Twitter, over on Instagram. And uh, I think, Bill, that there are a couple of rumors about season two possibly starting shooting not too long from now. Yes. See, I thought you were going to continue to keep going on. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to make sure you were paying attention. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the reports now, we will say that the reports are unconfirmed. Um, they're just rumors. That's why we say rumors. That's what rumors are. Now, rumors, that's a good song, I think, by Fleetwood Mac, if I don't, if I remember correctly. Um, great album. Great. great album, yep. And uh, it's based on union scheduling, and it comes from the site what's filming.ca if i remember that correctly but uh, that's good news we know season two is coming and it's going to be awesome i am sure yeah so apparently the union that has the has at least this block on their calendar starting in mid-april is uh is the uh, iatse it's the uh the labor union that represents technicians and stagehands both in in theater and also in in moving pictures uh, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees is the actual name of the labor union. Um, but, you know, they represent uh, pretty much everybody that works behind the scenes in the soundstage at at, uh, at the studios up in Toronto. So I um, you know whether or not this date moves, we don't know. Like Dan said, this is a rumor. It's unconfirmed. But usually that's a pretty good indicator that at least there's they're on the schedule. And the fact that we know that they're writing season two right now probably lends some credence to that as well. So, of course... We're going to keep an eye on this because we want to know when they start filming. 
Yeah, and uh, speaking of the writers, as we've talked about over on Discovering Trek, I have no doubt that they are going to blow us away just like they have with season one so far. It's been a, it's just been a great return to live action Trek this year, uh, and I can't wait for season two. But we still have to get through season one this week. I'm so nervous. Oh, I know. See, as as we talked about on Discovering Trek, we do long range scans or predictions for you know, what's going to happen during the season. And we're not going to reveal any of those here because we have no idea whether they're going to be accurate or not. But I, I can't wait to see what kind of stops they pull out in the season finale, because there have been some, some, some pretty major cliffhangers during the season and some really big reveals. And I, I have to believe that the season finale is going to be very much the same. Remember back in the day when when a, a cliffhanger would be at the end of an entire season and then we'd have to wait the whole summer? Yeah, Discovery does that pretty much every week. So yeah, I do have one long range scan for Discovery next week. And that is going to be that next week will be the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. I think you're going to nail that one pretty honestly. I, I'm I'm excited. Great job, buddy. I try. I try. We want to remind everyone that now it's even easier to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and also to Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion. Head on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get both of our fantastical podcasts directly on your iPhone, your iPod, your Android, or some other device. Plus, you can even stream our podcasts using Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher, or even use the RSS feed to download it to your computer. They're your independent Star Trek podcasts delivered your way, so join the Podfleet and make it so. Dan, dear doctor. I almost said dear Dan, and that would have been... Probably a horrible misstatement for me, but um, I know, right? This is um, this is an episode I haven't watched since it came on in 2001, to be honest, and I'm kind of surprised that I haven't watched it more. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and and it's 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 one of the downfalls. Here we go. It's, it happens every week, and I'm going to just do it right now, right off the bat. One of the downfalls yeah. about H&I's awesome schedule of Star Trek every single night, except for Saturday night, is that Enterprise doesn't come on until midnight. So I don't get to do oh. rewatches of the episodes of Enterprise like I get to do with all of the other ones. So I haven't been able to catch up as much. But I have been, you know, watching mishmash of episodes here and there through Netflix. And I got to admit also, Dear Doctor is not one that I have rewatched since probably the original run back in 2001. So uh, it was interesting to sit down and watch this one uh, a couple of times over the last week and a half or so to prepare for the episode today. And um, I'm kind of scratching my head as to why it took me so long to rewatch it. I know what you mean. You know, I've, I've watched it a couple of times since, uh, since we decided we were going to do it. And it, there, there's a lot here in this episode on a variety of levels. I um, it's funny because you were telling me uh, in the car one day that you watched this and your sister and brother-in-law were were in the room, and their reaction to it was kind of humorous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, gosh, I, I can't even remember this the the one the part that made me laugh so much, but it is funny watching episodes of uh, of television shows with people that have never watched any of the show before because you do get interesting reactions. Um, one of the things I wanted to, I'll, I'll let I'll let you, if you'd like, tell the story about 
about what, what was humorous about it, if you want. But one of the things that you just said that made me stop and think for a second is there's a lot going on in this episode in a variety of ways. But one of the things that's not happening in this episode, and it doesn't hurt the episode at all, is there is zero action in this episode. There's nothing. There's no action at right. all. And right. And a lot of people are like, oh, my God, doesn't that just make it a boring episode? Well, there's a lot going on in Star Trek. There's a lot of philosophical stuff that goes on in Star Trek. And this is a perfect example of an episode that focuses entirely on that and makes it an enjoyable and interesting episode, to say the least. Exactly. And, and essentially, that was the conversation you had with, with your sister and brother-in-law. It's like, hey, there's not a lot happening here. There's no phasers. What, what, what's the deal? Yeah, no phasers, no no beam outs, you know, no emergencies. Um, but but there is a crisis, and I think a lot of this goes back to the entire premise of Enterprise. So you remember before it premiered, we were told that this is a crew that is really going where no one has gone before. Right. That this crew is going to make mistakes, but most importantly, I, I think you know one of the the early lines on this series in various articles and and on the internet's was that this crew doesn't have all the rules given to them yet. You know, some of these things they're experiencing for the first time. And Dear Doctor is a primary example of that very thing. Absolutely. You know, not only do they not have all the rules mapped out, they've been held back for so long by the Vulcans. They couldn't get out into space for a long time because they were holding back the warp program. So it's really interesting that they are brand new at this. And and you can see it. The characters, especially one that's always stood out to me is uh, Hoshi. Very, very new to all of this, and and there's the fear, and there's the anxiety, and there's also the wonder, which which comes into play. Um, one of the scenes that I find interesting, which we may talk about a little bit more in detail, is the whole back and forth with her and Flox in Denoblian. That was very interesting. It kind of gave you an idea that they're new to this; they don't know all the languages of people that they're working with on a daily basis. I thought that was pretty cool. I agree. I um, but I, I think that brings to to, to mind, uh, you know, one of the great things about Enterprise and the way it was conceived is that with Phlox and T'Pol among this crew, there are great opportunities for conflict while still maintaining just the unabashed optimism of this series. Because it is, it is a very optimistic series, I think. Um, it does a great job of highlighting the inexperience of humans versus the, the experience and sometimes the impatience of the aliens that serve among them. And I think that's that's really the thing that, that brings this series together. One of the things that I think is great about Phlox and T'Pol is they are opposites of each other when it comes to the conflict and the optimism. Phlox is always optimistic and you know what's going to happen, dude. It, it's We're talking about Phlox and we're talking about optimism. So I might as well just throw it out right now. <laughs> Do it. Optimism, Captain... Anyway, um, he's always <laughs> smiling and looking forward to learning new things where T'Pol is, T'Pol is, you know, she's the Vulcan. She's not happy that she's there, at least to begin the series. She's always pointing out the things that could go wrong. And she's always the, even though she's a Vulcan, she's kind of a pessimist, especially between these two, if not the entire crew. But it is, a, like you said, a great opportunity to see that conflict while maintaining that optimism, just like you said. Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the things that really makes this this episode so fantastic. So like we said, this is the first time that I've watched this episode since 2001. Probably the same for you. Um, and my initial reaction or thought to this was, you know, at the end in the scene in, in Sick Bay between Archer and Phlox, you know, Archer's like, ah, I wish we had some kind of directive 
He's something to tell us what to do. And I'm like, the whole episode works for me with the exception of that one line because it seems way too bonk bonk on the head. You know, they take this and they beat us over the head with it like, hmm, how can we reference the Prime Directive without referencing the Prime Directive directly? Huh. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I I didn't see it that way at all. I um I actually liked that they did it that way because, you know, p- people who are just like ridiculous fans like we are and know every little detail about everything might think that. I I personally don't. I, I'm of the kind of person who like maybe a casual fan or somebody who knows a good amount about Star Trek is going to watch this episode. He's going to say that line and they're going to go, oh, this is where it started. This is why the Prime Directive is going to start coming into play. We know it's before the time of TOS, so you know uh, the Federation hasn't been formed yet. So they got to have all these things come up and all these rules and and a, a constitution, so to speak, or or this list of directives. So I kind of liked how they did it. It it was that first stepping stone um, for the Prime Directive, and I can certainly understand what you're saying about the bonk bonk on the head with the word directive and, oh, my God, if he put in – I wish they would have come up with some prime rule that – something along those lines. I totally see what you're saying, but I, for one, I really liked it. I can respect that. I think that um, one of the things that really endears this episode to me is the way in which it's kind of like Data's day. You know, this whole thing is a piece of correspondence – um, to somebody else mm-hmm. that is recounting this story. And I think that I'm glad that's not something they went to too often in Berman era Star Trek, because I think that this episode does it better than Data's Day did, personally. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that a lot. Um, I, I actually had forgotten about the Data's Day with his correspondence to, it was Dr. Maddox, wasn't it? Um, it was, yeah, yeah. And uh, we met Dr. Maddox. Did we ever meet Dr. Lucas in Enterprise? I don't think we did. Uh, I don't believe so. It was no. just a, it was just a name. But it's done in a way – again, it comes back to what I said a, a little while ago. This episode doesn't have a lot of, of, uh, of action and everything, but it's done in a way where you're like, okay, he's telling this story. And he's telling it in a story to the doctor when he's talking, but we get to see what's actually happening. And then we get to hear his thoughts on what's happening in that correspondence to Dr. Lucas. So I do, I do like the way that they did it and you're right. They didn't overdo it. They didn't do it too much. Um, and probably I think that's maybe the only two episodes we actually saw this kind of, uh, of communication to somebody who we don't see on screen to tell a story. Right. You know, obviously we see an entire episode that's a captain's log that's deleted in Deep Space Nine, Mm. but that sort of direct narrative, you know, from the character experiencing it first person really doesn't happen too often. And I'm really glad for that because I think that it is incredibly effective with this story. One of the other things I think that is incredibly effective is the interpersonal relationships between flocks and various members of the crew, including Cutler. You know, she's, you know, essentially interested in him mm-hmm. and is is, <laughs> is is trying to be interested without bonk bonking him on the head with it until she kind of has to bonk bonk him on the head with it. <laughs> um, the whole movie night is a great scene. It is. Um, I, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode because it's just so, as James D. Kirk would say, human. 
<laughs> it is. And again, if we've talked about this on Discovering Trek, the most human aspects of this episode are from a non-human. And I think yeah. that's that's very interesting. I do love that scene. It's great to see Trip crying. He's like, I'm not crying. I got something in my eye or something like that. Whatever he says, it's pretty good. And 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 Flox is is actually having more fun watching the reactions of the people sitting around him than the actual movie itself. And I think that's that's wonderful. It's a great it's a great layer to Flox that is done brilliantly by uh, Mr. Billingsley. Well, you know, I think that that's something that we as humans tend to do more often than not. I mean, as we mentioned at the the top of the show this past week, I was in Las Vegas. And one of the things I commented on uh, on social media was I sent out a tweet saying how great the people watching was mm-hmm. at first thing in the morning because you see all kinds of various things. I think we're entertained by other humans in their interpersonal relationships from a distance. And I, I think we we take some either enjoyment or solace or, or even relief out of the fact that, you know, we're not the only ones. Right. You know? It's 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 funny that you say that. I've said this to you many times. We travel to Disney World at least once a year, if not twice. And we've been there so much and we know every ride inside out and all the all the different places in the parks. But it's so much fun to people watch when you're down there because you see so many different aspects of life because there's so many different cultures there and there's so many different ages there. It's 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 a fun thing to do. And and now next time I go to Disney, I'm gonna see myself being Dr. Flox in that movie screen, uh, on that movie theater night and uh, uh, acting like a fool. <laughs> Some would say you don't need the movie theater night. <laughs> oh, yes, that's true. Oh, hey um, One of the other things that strikes me about this episode is the fact that there is a complete respect between Archer and Phlox. You know, this crew has not been together very long. It would be very easy for Archer to just, you know, command Phlox to do X and Y and Z. But Archer... You know, aside from the moral dilemma he's facing, which we'll talk about in a minute, really trusts Flox's intuition and, and his judgment. I think that, that speaks a lot about the way these characters are written. You know, in the original series, there was a respect that everybody on the on the ship is is the best at what they do, or you know, they were they were more than competent officers for sure. And I, I like that that Enterprise now, you know, the the third or fourth derivation of of Star Trek maintains that, that, well, for want of a better word, the Roddenberry rule, right? right? It introduces some conflict in between these characters without there actually being conflict in between these characters that's lasting. I agree with you there. I also agree with what you said at the beginning. I think that that trust that Archer has for Phlox started the instant he met him in the first episode when he was working on the Klingon. Um, There was an instant bond between the two. And I mean, of course he asked him to be the the chief medical officer on, on enterprise as a result of that, uh, of that discussion and that first adventure when they were trying to get the Klingon home. So it definitely was, was rooted very early in the series. And it's something I think that lasts through the entire series everybody seems to trust Flox. He's one of, he's the character on the show that you would just go and talk uh, your deepest, darkest, or even deepest, happiest things in your life going on. If you wanted somebody to talk to, I think it's, I think he's a brilliant character and, and that bond between Archer and Flox is very evident in this episode because you're right. Archer could have said, I'm giving you an order. You do what I tell you because he's got that human part of him that wants to help where Flox is looking at it from a different angle, which is, what's very important about this episode. And this is another reason why I think Archer is just such a fantastic character and a great captain. I don't think he gets his due 
in fandom. I mean, he does with some fans, don't get me wrong. But Archer is is very, you know, he, well, he deliberates, right? You know, he he's not just trying to make the decision, you know, off the bat. He's he's giving everything its due consideration, probably a little more so than some other captains. You know, Archer doesn't react, you know, he or he I should say he's not reactive, you know, uh, needlessly. He's he's a very considered man, and I think that that's one of the qualities that I didn't appreciate in 2001. Looking back on it, I can see the complexity and and the challenge that this gave to Scott Bakula, quite frankly, because you know we're we're creating new ground while treading some very old ground, and that's a, a delicate balance, I think. Well, you just hit the nail on the head. I think um, Enterprise takes place. He's really the first guy out there as captain he doesn't have anybody to fall back on he doesn't any have any past experience from other captains who have been in deep space ex- exploring to go with and so these decisions that he has to make are just based on his he said he doesn't make gut reactions but they're they're based on what his gut tells him and he has to he has to juggle constantly i think oh my god what am i going to do here this is the first time that we've dealt with something like this in space that's a tremendous amount of of weight on his shoulders, I think, as that first captain that we really see out there. So you're right. Uh, Archer, is, as the character, does a great job with what he does. And 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 he wears – I don't know if I want to say he wears his emotions on his sleeve, but you already always know where he's coming from. But at the same time, you're right. Bakula did a great job in bringing that forward to us so we could see that conflict that he might be having in his head at the time that he has to make a decision like this. I think he's the most relatable of all the captains in their first season, right? Kirk is the hero, you know, uh, Picard is the is the diplomat and the explorer. You know, Cisco is Cisco's in a, a state of flux. He's uncomfortable with his his role as emissary to the prophets and he's trying to to forge a new path for Bajor. Janeway is is, you know, trying to get her people home. And you can appreciate that on some level, but I, I don't know that there's you know, uh, the level of empathy that, that I have for Archer at this point, because he's, he's brand new at this. He's, he's writing this job description, right? Exactly. You know, we, and that's really the toughest part of what he has going on. The, the thing I appreciate about this episode is that there are a couple of moral dilemmas here for a couple of characters. It's not just one moral dilemma that, you know, where this episode becomes a morality play, you know, Phlox has a couple on his plate, you know, does, does he, you know, does he, make the cure? Does he tell his captain about it? And then what do they tell the the race on the planet about, well, what what they can do for them? Mm-hmm. And then for Archer, he's got, well, do I give these people warp drive, which is a, a hell no. And then do I give them this cure and and do I change the, the evolution of this planet and these species? And I guess we can start with flocks um, and we'll then weave our way to Archer. I I appreciated that there was a level of complexity here for flocks and various dilemmas, um, not only with what's going on on the planet, but then what to do about crewman Cutler as well. <laughs> it's funny that that the weight of of both of these issues is so different. One of them's not really a weight at all, in, in my opinion, but that's the one I enjoy more. Is is what to do with regards to Cutler because it's it seems to be really on his mind a lot during this episode of what's, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with her? Is, is, is what she's doing what I think she's doing? And, and I really, I really like it. And I like how, uh, he discusses it with her. Um, 
just to stay on that for a second, one of the things that I liked about this episode with Flocks and dealing with Cutler is when she was revolted, uh, I guess is the best way, or repulsed uh, about what was going on on the planet between the Valakians and the Mank. She just was, oh my God, that's just so awful. And it's just because that's how she felt about it. But it was a different culture and she didn't agree with it. But then when Flox was telling her about his culture with multiple husbands and multiple wives, she didn't have a problem with that. And he pointed that out to her and said, well, why is that any different than what you're saying you don't agree with, with the, with the uh, Valakians and the, and the Mank? And I, I thought that was a very interesting rhetorical question because it, it made sense. What, and I think that we do that now here today all the time we like this because of this but we don't like that because of that when it's kind of the same thing you know what i mean does that make sense yeah no it absolutely does i think that we we base our reactions on our own sense of morality to some extent Mm -hmm. and i think that cutler's a great example of of highlighting the well sort of the contradictions that we we give ourselves as humans right you know she's she's making a judgment about these races, but realizing that it's really not all that different from the interaction between her and flocks on some level. I, I, before we go any further, I have to say that Kelly Waymeyer is fantastic in this episode. And I'm, I'm really only sorry that, that her time on this earth was, was cut way too short. She passed away in 2003, just a couple of years after this episode was shot. And at the time her star was really kind of rising. Mm. She was doing a lot of uh, guest spots on the HBO series, six feet under she was doing Enterprise. I know she did an episode of Voyager, um, but uh, just a, a fantastic talent. I wish that you know we had had the chance to see more from Cutler because I think that she was turning into a a really great character with some really great interaction with Flox. I absolutely agree, and it's really a shame. Um, I would have loved to have seen the relationship between her and Flox evolve. Uh, more on the series if she had become a regular it is it is so unfortunate that she passed away so early in life but uh, she does a great job in this and and it's funny when i was watching this uh i'm like oh man i really like this character i didn't remember her from the first time i saw the episode but i really liked her and then i was doing some reading later on and saw that i I think she was in maybe one more episode of Enterprise. If that, I, I don't recall, but she would have been a great recurring character on the show, I think. It really would have been good to see her more. Absolutely. So going back to the um, the Valakians and the Mank, there's, there is really the best kind of conflict here this early in the series. You know, the Enterprise crew is, is asked to help, you know, uh, one group – and potentially affect both groups. And, and I think that, you know, that the struggle on whether or not Flox should develop this cure is, is not only central to this, but it's central to Flox's development and his time on board this ship. Mm-hmm. And certainly with his relationship to Archer. I, um, I mean, obviously, you know, as a doctor, he, he realizes early on that he can't deploy this cure because it changes the evolution of this planet. And there's really no question as to whether or not he's doing the right thing. Because as Star Trek fans, we kind of have to believe he is, right? Especially if we we really agree with the whole non-interference directive. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, I think we empathize with him more because we know what Star Trek means down the road. 
than than perhaps somebody watching this episode for the first time, if that makes sense. It does make sense. One of the things that I found interesting in his dilemma was he believed he could not – first of all, let me back up a step. For him to already have the cure and him debating whether or not he was even going to tell Archer was really an interesting point to this character that we're just getting to know only 13 episodes into the series. And when he dropped that bomb, quote unquote, so to speak, which wasn't really a huge bomb, but it was like, oh my God, he already had it. He, he wasn't going to tell the captain. I thought that was an important moment. And I think you saw on Archer's face what he thought about the fact that he almost wasn't going to tell me about this. But – Back to what I was going to say is he knows that because of the evolution of these two species on this planet, that it's going to go, it's supposed to go its own way. But here's the dilemma. He's a doctor. He's sworn to help all life. So that's going to be quite a battle. He knows that he, you know, as a doctor, he's got to do what he can to cure these people. But at the same time, he's being pulled in the direction of, I can't interfere with the normal evolution of this planet. It's got, I, I certainly wouldn't want to have to make that decision. And you can tell that Phlox is having a hard time doing it, but he sticks to his guns in regards to the evolution of those two species. Well, and, you know, he, he has to make ultimately the decision whether or not to trust Archer, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's key to their relationship going forward. If he decides not to tell Archer, at some point this is going to come back up, right. right? They're gonna they're gonna run into another you know situation like this or something that's like this situation, and at some point things are going to come to a head. Um, but he he makes the decision to trust his captain, and I think that that's key to. This episode, or another key to this episode, because I think I've I've had like three or four keys to this episode at this point. That's a lot of keys. Um, yeah, a lot of keys. It's a big <laughs> keychain. You know, it, it's interesting. There's a great scene with T'Pol and Archer in, in Archer's ready room. And, you know, Archer Archer has compassion, right? He even says in the episode to Flox that his compassion guides his judgment. But in the scene with, with T'Pol in the ready room, you know, he says we, we could stay and help them. And... You know, to Paul rightfully says to him, you know, the Vulcan stayed to help Earth 90 years ago and we're still there. Mm-hmm. And I think that really gives Archer the kind of awakening. And I think that he comes away with, okay, so that's how this slippery slope starts, right? He right. begins to understand how the Vulcans must have felt and perhaps the dilemma that they had. Although with Vulcans, there's <laughs> they, they rely on logic more than they do their feelings. And that Archer doesn't have that at this point. So in essence, Archer has to get over essentially making a choice. Yeah. You know, and, and all Flox is saying is that, you know, we let nature do it. Yeah. And, bas- and I think that's what Archer has the biggest problem with. Yeah. Basically <laughs> Arch is telling to Paul, yeah, now I know what you guys were doing that for. Cause he's afraid that that same things could possibly happen here. And it was an interesting, it was an interesting insight into Archer's thought process because at least for the first several episodes, he, made every opportunity he could to give T'Pol a hard time for the Vulcans holding him back as long as they did. Now, when the shoe's on the other foot, it's a little bit of a different story. And I thought that was really interesting. I agree with you. Archer, both Archer and Flux have incredible development in this episode. You know, Archer, you know, we mentioned earlier, has several dilemmas. You know, first, you know, the the mank ask him for warp drive. And it's like, well, <laughs> um, he actually, I think he thinks about it for maybe like 0.68 seconds. <laughs> and, you know, 
these people have no idea what they're doing. You know, they have no, they've never dealt with antimatter before, as Archer brings out. You know, that's really not an option. So that one gets crossed off the board early, even though the men keep asking for the warp drive. Right. And then it's like, well, do we give them the cure? And, you know, do, do we do we help these people? Because, you know, Archer thinks on some level that's the compassionate thing to do, whether or not it's the right thing to do. And then I think that this episode helps him come to the realization that these are the type of things that that they may be faced with time and again, you know, as they explore space and explore the galaxy. And I think that that's where this episode comes together. You know, it's it's the you almost see the the light bulb go off over Archer, like, oh, there's so much more to this than just stopping by planets and doing you know surveys mm-hmm. and sending the data back to Starfleet Command. We may actually influence the development of other cultures and other races and other planets as a whole. And is that the right thing to do? And and for this episode to occur this early in in Enterprise's first season, I think is is pretty amazing. And the fact that it it's written so well is a testament to you know just the the nature of this series in general. What I found interesting this week while watching this episode, and I'm not going to give spoilers because we don't give spoilers about uh, Discovery here on Trek Geeks. It made me think about recent episodes of Discovery, and that is I'm going to put it in this way destiny versus making your own decision. And you know what I'm talking about with discovery based on what's been going on in the episodes makes me think about this. Were they destined to help these people and give them warp drive so that they could find their own way to take care of the problem that they had, or did you have to make the decision to do it or not do it? It all can, you can just, you could, your head can start spinning around thinking of the what ifs in these type of situations. This is a great example of that. I think. Who's to say that they weren't destined to meet these people to give them the technology or to give them the cure? Or is it Archer and Phlox making the decision of how to act and possibly changing the course of that civilization forever? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's interesting in, in looking back and, and doing some research on this episode and looking at sites like Memory Alpha, UPN actually had the ending of this episode changed because they didn't like it. So what we saw was actually not the original ending for Dear Doctor. And I think that that's fascinating. Um, apparently, um, they felt that it was important to make sure that everyone was there to support the captain's decisions. So it makes me wonder if there was more conflict in the original ending. Um, but John Billingsley essentially was not fond of how the episode's conclusion was modified. Um you know, it's ultimately it wasn't his call, as he would say. He wasn't happy with the revisions, but you know, it did seem a, a contradiction of terms to him and what the character was supposed to be about. I, I would love to read that initial ending of the, of the script and find out exactly what it called for. Yeah, that was going to be my question: is is does that information say what the actual ending originally was going to be? It kind of makes you think that it, they're going to go a different way than what they did. I mean, it could have been completely opposite. Maybe they give him the cure. Maybe they give him the first specs for warp drive, which both instances would have been like a wow moment, but, or it could have been something subtly different, but interesting that in that article that you were reading that they don't talk about what that original script was. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, you have to believe that there was more conflict, especially if they wanted everyone to be supporting the captain's decision. Right. Right. And, and you get some, even in the scene where where they they drop off the medicine at the end of the episode that's supposed to help you know um uh, comfort mm-hmm. the Velakians. 
um, you can see that that Flock still just isn't feeling great about this. Exactly. You know, and it it doesn't take a genius to figure out that it's not really what he what he wants to do, even though he knows that what he what he feels like he should do can't be done. Right. So, um, interesting trivia note: um, the the unnamed alien astronaut at the beginning is Christopher Rydell, who is the son of Joanne Linville, who played the Romulan commander in the Enterprise incident and in the original would, series. And that would be the brother of... Oh, my God, I can't think of her name now. Star Trek continues. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes. Amy Rydell. Thank you, Amy. Yep. Yeah, that's very interesting. Huh. That's Everything's always tied together, and that's an interesting... T- I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second. When I'm at my brother and sisters and we're watching regular television that's not Star Trek, I always say, oh, he was in blah, 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 Voyager, Enterprise. And I, and and so now it's a joke in my house, uh, at my sister's house. Nobody's important until they've been on Star Trek. <laughs> um, my wife and I do, do something similar, except she does it with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Sex in the City. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Interesting combination. Hey, one thing yeah. I wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about yet, um, and that is the scene between Phlox and T'Pol when she's got a problem with her tooth. Yes, yes. Um, I think that is a great example of something that we talked about a little while ago to a point where T'Pol's always looking at possibly the negative side of things while Dr. Phlox is always looking towards the positive, optimistic view. She's basically saying, yeah, she's just interested in you because you're different and she wants to see what it's like and she's curious. She doesn't really like you. That's how I took her discussion, which is kind of mean. And and you saw it affect him. Um, you saw when he was saying it, he, you could see he was kind of deflated a little bit. And then in the next scene that you see with uh, with he and Cutler, he's a little bit different. And it, I, I, I saw that as a – that's really too bad that the T'Pol character is, is, is like this all the time. In some ways, she can be great. But in other ways, in this first season when they're still hashing out how the characters are going to be, she kind of pissed me off a little bit. <laughs> No, I, I can absolutely understand that. I think that, um, well, I think T'Pol is there to be the you know, the, the contrarian in, in that scene, right? Mm, yeah. I, I, it, it's, a, it's a scene that works. I mean, it gives Flock something to think about. But if you at this point in the first season, T'Pol is pretty much the contrarian all the time. It's like, well, that's not in the Vulcan database or, you know, Vulcan Science Academy says this isn't possible or, you know, we're not supposed to do this and that and you humans and blah, blah, blah. So I think that that was continuing the the trend that they already started off for her. Um, although I do think it was a nice scene between um, T'Pol and Phlox. Oh yes, I honestly. agree. It's, it's a great scene. It's a good um, it's a good relationship building scene between the two of them. But at the same time, it's she's very cold in, in space, um, and. <laughs> and you can see, at least I took it, his feelings got re- were really hurt when she pointed out that that's what she thought Cutler may be doing. Just kind of sad for him, poor guy. Well, yeah, no, true. So getting back to the moral dilemma, I can appreciate that that Phlox knows that the Valachians are going to be extinct within two centuries. I, and I can appreciate how that affects him. And I can appreciate how this weighs on Archer. Ultimately, I think they make the only decision available to them. I mean, because if if they make the other decision, I think it changes Star Trek fundamentally. And I don't know that that's something that would have been good for the franchise, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I think you're, I, you're absolutely right. And as you like to say, I agree with you 100%. 
Wow. That's, I wish I could have that on tape. Oh, wait, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I do think this is an absolutely classic episode. And, you know, if there were a series of episodes I were going to sit down to tell somebody what Star Trek is, Mm. I think I would add this one to that list because in a nutshell, it is what the prime directive is about. And it's a great, you know, it's great to see that, you know, X number of years after the original series that we can still tell compelling stories about, you know, what happens when we interfere with, with things we shouldn't, you know, interfere with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's good to see that after all these years, they still can focus on stories and tell them in a way that works. Um, I think if I remember correctly, several cast members, especially uh, John Billingsley has said that this is one of their favorite episodes. And that's going to tell you something because as we've said, not a lot of action. It's very core specific of what this episode is going to tell us a story about. And, even the people that may not have been heavily involved in the episode or seen on screen a lot consider it one of their favorites. Yeah, I and I think it's become one of mine in short order. I, I can't believe it's taken me, you know, seventeen years to rewatch this episode. Almost, you're slow. Uh, that's that's true. I make things go. <laughs> so let me ask you this: is is there anything that Flocks or Archer could have done differently in this episode that would have fit with? you know, Star Trek. Is there anything they could have done to help the Vlachians or the Mank that that might have, you know, provided assistance yet not changed the, the, the fundamental evolution of the species? Knowing how Star Trek works and what Star Trek is about, I really don't think there was anything that they could have done differently. Not without, like you said earlier, completely upending what Star Trek is all about. Uh, they're in a very tough situation and you, you got to think that there's something that's going to affect them, Archer and flocks going forward forever. I mean, they, they, you know, who's to say that one day Archer's going to be sitting in his office. and like, Oh my God, did I do the right thing? That's going to be something that's going to bother him for a while. Um, it's like when he loses a crew member, could he have done things differently to save that life or something like that? So, but I don't think that they could have done anything differently. The one thing that I find, that maybe could have been done, but it would have been such a uh, showing a difference of what the characters like is if flocks had not held back as long as he did that he already had the cure, but that was a centric part of the episode to show the dilemma that he was facing. So I got to say, no, man, what about you? I think I'm right there with you. I mean, I think that even in hindsight, I feel some of the, the, the twinges of regret that both of these characters must feel, right? I, I enjoy this episode so much. And then I think back, it's well, well, you know, this this race is going to be gone within, you know, 200 years. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, is there anything that could be done to save them? Because, you know, in Star Trek, you know, th- these people are, are, are alive, <laughs> obviously, and, and life is important. You know, life is 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 fundamental to you know, everything. And they respect all life forms and they do what they can to help all life forms they encounter. And in this, in this instance, there's nothing they can do. And that it doesn't set well with you, even as a fan, because we, you know, we like to think that the future is different, but there are just as many moral dilemmas in the future as there are in today's society. Look at, look at Flox's face at the end of the episode. This tells you everything that you need to know. Look at his face when Archer's talking to uh, the head guy about, okay, we're going to give you this. This is going to help 
just so you'll be more comfortable. We can't give you warp technology. We're sorry. Flux is just like beside himself with, oh my God, what are we doing? I've got the cure right here in my pocket, but yeah, I can't give it to you, dude. And that's going to just be killing him as a physician and as someone who has moral scruples. Um, it, it, and it's, it, it, it's perfect the way – it's funny that, that he did not like the way that this episode ended because I think that the way he portrayed Phlox at the end of this episode is a critical part of what this character is all about. Yes. You know, it, it speaks to who Phlox is. And although it wasn't an ending that, that the actor was, was essentially on board with, I think that it shows what a professional Billingsley is. And he showed up and he, he knocked it out of the park, right? You know, he gave a performance in that rewrite that, that still spoke to who Phlox is Mm -hmm. and without compromising, you know, the integrity of that character. So I think that that says, I think it says volumes about the character. I think it says volumes about John Billingsley and really everybody else that was on enterprise because um you know as good as as billingsley is in this uh, bacula is just as great um with with the different set of of problems that his character faces it's interesting that characters that don't have a lot of screen time in a particular episode because let's face it this was a this was a flocks episode and archer was in it but he wasn't in it as much as it was focused on flocks but the scenes right. that archer were in were were paramount <laughs> get it um <laughs> scenes for the episode and he carried them uh they were they were huge archer moments in the development of both archer and the entire show so what's the best scene in the episode for you i think the scene in the mess hall when when they're arguing about what they want to do and that reveal that he already has the cure was my favorite episode. That was just an oblique moment for me. I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderfully acted by both uh, um, Scott and John. Uh, that one stands out to me, I think is my favorite. That's I, that one's for me also is on that list, but it's tied for me with the very final scene um, on the planet mm-hmm. because you're sort of left with that dread and yes. you know, that sort of pit in your stomach that is like, Oh man, but we have the cure. Mm hmm. We have the cure. We can help these people, but we can't help these people. Right. I, I, I like this episode so much because I, I feel like I feel the same dilemma the character goes through. And uh, that to me is great Star Trek. It is great Star Trek. You know what else is a favorite scene for me? Tongue in cheek. <laughs> the very beginning. Are we ever going to see any of these creatures that Phlox has in his sick bay? Because they're kind of creepy. <laughs> I got to tell you, Billingsley sells it when he feeds that one thing. <laughs> You know, he sort of takes the lid off very carefully and he reaches the food, the food in and then takes his hand back really quickly so as not to get bitten. Um, he sells it and the audio for that scene is just spot on. But what's even better about that part is he pulls the hand back and then he takes another one and it looks like he's about to put it in. But nah, he eats it himself. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy. I will say, I will say that that is the most uneventful tease <laughs> In 700 plus hours of Star Trek. I would have to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happens. <laughs> oh, man. I um, This is an episode I think I'm going to go back and watch periodically now that, it's, uh, now that I've rewatched it again. Because I think it's important in the development of Enterprise and, and in the whole of Star Trek. I think that without this episode... Well, because, I mean, let's be honest. It, it's, it's perfectly at the midpoint of season one almost. And it really kind of shows us the promise of this series. And honestly, 
how good it really was early on. And I think that people are really just starting to figure that out now, you know, f- f- 15 years after the fact. I I have to agree with you there also, because one of the things that we've always said about a lot of the uh, spinoff series is that it sometimes took a season or two for them to get their feet on the ground and, and start running with stuff. Definitely on TNG, uh, DS9 to a point, Voyager to a point, if not longer than two seasons. Um, and originally, I thought the same of Enterprise, but as I've watched sporadically uh, over the last year or so, it really is the most solid first season, and except for Discovery. That's a completely different story. Um, it really is the most solid of seasons for the spinoff series. And I think that's really a testament to uh, the cast. Um, they're able to really work well together. And with the stories that they're given, they really are able to tell the stories in a good way. Yes. I, 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 I can't actually – I can't add anything to that because I think you stated it perfectly. Um, Dan, another thing we'd like to state perfectly is that we love five-year mission. They are so fantastic and so amazing to us. We get to use their music in every single episode of Trek Geeks and also discovering Trek, a Star Trek discovery companion. And we are so grateful to them for the support they provide us that it's so easy to, to show them love whenever we can. We want everyone, Dan, to head on out to fiveyearmission.net and download all of their albums, prepare for year four, because it is coming very, very soon. I know they're putting some finishing touches on it. I know they're recording some uh, some new tracks that were related to the the crowdfunder, which is exciting for the EP. Um, and I just I can't wait. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Please support the band, show them some love, and uh, and become a huge fan because we definitely are. You didn't even say anything about the beefcake calendar, dude. Well, I'm trying not to get my – I mean, I want that like now. And the more I talk about it, the yes. more I want to see 5YM beefcake on my wall. I, li- I, I like the idea. You know, speaking of talking about things, you know, today we did talk a lot about the Prime Directive, uh, the birth of the Prime Directive uh, in Dear Doctor. And, you know, there were a lot of episodes in Star Trek that dealt with the Prime Directive. And there was one that I watched recently that had a huge Prime Directive implication. You know, you remember the one, Bill. It had a balding Klingon. It had a large version of the famous fidget spinner of death. And it had some (laughs) really, really bad wardrobe choices by the Capellan. So I'm going to give you a little hint there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's Friday's Child. It's a great story. But for me... The best moment of that episode is when Aline gave birth to her son, who would grow up to be a famous drummer in a band oh, known no. throughout the galaxy. Oh, God. His name, Leonard James Akafark. He is legendary. Legend. See, I thought you were going to go Leonard James Farka-R. Farka-R? Farka-R. Yeah. Nah, I, I, as, opposed I, to, as opposed to Akafark. Akafark. It's, a, it's like a, See, it's like you're hiccuping or something. Hiccup, I also, I also thought you were gonna go fark days child. <laughs> See, that's why I do this. I'm so much better at them. Better, really? You're comfortable <laughs> with using that adjective? <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it really is the highlight of my week when I can come up with a farkism to make people smile. So, is that what they do? I hope they smiled. I hope Fark smiled. You know, he, I <laughs> smile. Oh. <laughs> That was for Fark. That was for Fark. We still need an actual an actual Fark recorded rim shot. That would be fantastic. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, so yeah, fiveyearmission.net. Please download all of their music, Dan's Farkisms notwithstanding. Dan, next episode, we're going to take a deep dive into 
the original series. And this time it's going to be an episode that you and I didn't always necessarily agree on. Uh, I would say that that is true. And I would also say that having to argue with you over and over, oh, I am tired. Give you a little hint there. Yeah, it's, you know, you and I did not always agree on this. And I got to say, I did not like it as much until I read the autobiography of James T. Kirk last year. And that made me change my tune, go back and watch it. And I appreciate it a lot more than I did, which has happened with several episodes that I haven't liked in the past. Um, and since the newest Star Trek Discovery novel, novel, Drastic Measures by Dayton Ward, has a really big tie-in to this episode, we figured it would be a great time to talk about it. So next week, it's The Conscience of the King on an all-new Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. You know, I'm so excited for this. I've loved this episode since I was a kid. Um, I love how bat crap crazy Lenore Caridian is um, because she takes Psycho to a brand new level. I love how how crazy her old man is because yes. he's just, he's out there. It, you know, he's Kodos the Executioner for God's sake. And plus, Dan, the timing of this is fantastic because Dayton Ward's book, Drastic Measures, you point out comes out this coming week i know it's awesome i can't wait it's it all falls you know destiny or make your choice i think we know this was destiny um except i make the schedule Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> dan for more great star trek discussion we want everyone to head on over to the tricorder transmissions online at the tricorder transmissions.com dan would you believe they just released another brand new podcast i don't believe they've it. added they've added to their library of shows a great podcast called Reading Trek, all about Star Trek novels. I can imagine you're going to become a big fan of this one. Um, it's brand new. Did they just drop their first episode this past weekend? And uh, and since we love everybody and everything over at Tricorder, we hope you check them out. Again, online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. And don't forget, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our great friends at TrekNews.net. Online at treknews.net for now this has been episode 128 of the trek geeks podcast we do hope you all live long and prosper coconuts captain have you reused that one never i don't think so really you haven't done that one i'm i'll have to go back and listen to all 127 episodes but i'm thinking not we'll make it so Dun 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 it's Super Bowl Sunday dun 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 Way to go Oh my god the nerves have started already So last year at this time I subjected you to Super Bowl Stump the Geek You did That's hard to believe that was a year ago I know and here we are again, back in the big game. Yes. It's not a bad thing. Now, 
at what point are you going through your really bizarre tradition of burning a bloody Kleenex? That will be later this afternoon, probably around six o'clock. That right before game time. If they lose, this is your fault. No, and I don't it believe. I don't. No, it is. I don't believe in things like like this. But I now believe if you burn a bloody Kleenex and they lose, that this is on you. No, sorry. Before, you can say that all you, you want. You can say it all you want. It's you, not going to happen. Before you buried things that didn't have your blood on them. So now, if you're sacrificing your life force for this, that means that the gods were not happy. No. As they usually aren't with you. No. And they smited the Patriots as a result. Who's to say that the jacket I burned a couple of years ago didn't have a little trace of blood or my DNA on it because I might have cut my elbow with something and it was on the inside and I never knew it. You don't know if that was a fact or not, so you can't say no, that. No, you this didn't. You didn't burn it because it was a bloody jacket. You're burning this because it's a bloody Kleenex. No, I'm not burning. Injury you sustained no. in the last Super see, Bowl. See, unless you get your facts straight, you shouldn't start ridiculing me on things that, that I'm doing. I have my facts straight. You have I, can facts pull, in, I can pull the tape incorrect. from the last time we talked about this. I burned something that has to do with a previous Super Bowl. It doesn't matter what That's it right. is. You it could have burned the shirt you had on You're last wrong. time. I know. That's right. And this this thing that I have from and last year is from last year's Super Bowl. So instead I'm, you you chose the grossest option possible. I chose the only <laughs> option possible. You were naked watching the Super Bowl. No, I'm not gonna burn okay. something that, that that they won with okay, that I was wearing. You're such a fool. You're a fool. So wait. So wait, you just contradicted yourself. If you burn something that's directly related to the last Super Bowl. And they've won five of them. That means you've burned five things that you've worn when they when they've won. No, we no no. Yes, no. that's what no. that means. That's what it means. But I said it wrong. So just move along. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do a tradition. Well, actually, okay. I'll, let me let me let me add this in. My sister will be burning a shirt as well. Does that help? No, because she thinks Alex Trebek was in Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, we're so screwed. <laughs> you're, you're so screwed. <laughs> Love you, Donna. (laughs) (laughs) So last night, my wife and I are sitting uh, in the living room and we were, you know, we were catching up on various shows because it's been a crazy week with my travel and stuff. Um, And she was telling me how uh, the the kids of of a friend of hers from the gym have this app on their phone called iFart. Oh, lovely. Well, so she downloaded it. Next thing I know, she starts playing fart noises and they're, they're named somewhat humorously. And I have to admit, I was laughing like a stupid 11 year old kid. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't know if I even want to (laughs) know. I'm not going to repeat any of the names. I'm not going to tell anybody to go download this app, but it does appear to be available for both iOS and Android. (laughs) But, um, I, I, the level of effort, that went into this app is, is, is pretty interesting. There's even something called a, a, a security fart where you can set one to go off when somebody picks up your phone. <laughs> is, is this what Trek geeks has come to? <laughs> well, it's what it's always been with you involved. Oh, wow. I'm okay. just finally sinking to your level. Wow. Oh my God. No, I'm glad you get to sit down in your living room and, uh, and, and have fun and do things like that last night. We really don't have much of a living room left. <clears throat> so, uh, before I click the record button, you told me you were standing in front of your closet <laughs> in the house. <laughs> I uh, That is absolutely correct. The old podcast studio is empty. And uh, as a result, 
I had to find some place to put my equipment to record. And the only place that I could that didn't have a lot of echo because all the rooms are so empty is my master bedroom. And the only place I could really set up was on the shelf in the closet. So I'm standing in front of my closet. My laptop is on the shelf because it's not a shelf way up top. It's kind of because we have an angled roof. It's kind of about, I don't know, four feet up from the ground. I got all my stuff. I got the microphone attached to the shelf. And here I am. I want to tell you, this is probably some of the best audio you've ever produced. (laughs) You're right. Absolutely no echo. It's nice and balanced. Yeah. this is uh, this is the best you've ever done, buddy. Congratulations. It only took 128 episodes. Well, you know, practice makes perfect, and I guess now we're done practicing, aren't we? <laughs> well, one of us is. Big jerk face. Uh, hey, I'm still taking mulligans right and left here. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we've made a lot of progress. This will actually, to tell you the truth, Bill, in all seriousness, this will be the last time I record Trek Geeks in Maine. The very last time. Oh, wow. One. Yep. Wow. Um, next week, uh, we will be leaving Maine for the last time, the house probably on Saturday, uh, driving back up here for the closing on Monday. But uh, the next time we record Trek Geeks, it'll be in Nashua going forward. So uh, it's kind of a little sad moment, actually, to tell you the truth. Well, it's a, it's a space that served you guys well. I know that um, you know, it's been a home with a lot of laughs and a lot of uh, great memories, but uh, here's to brand new ones. Absolutely. 16 years here and uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been fantastic. So, but bigger and better things coming up. So I'm excited. Rock on. You ready to do this? I'm ready to do this. Ready to do this. Ready to do this. Go Pats.